This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. It's Philip Mock with the Retirement Detective Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to look at the basics of estate planning. Having a solid estate plan is a really important part of having a thorough, comprehensive, overall financial plan. But estate planning, for whatever reason, just isn't talked about as much as some of the other topics like investments or insurance or Social Security planning. But Estate planning is extremely important because it defines how assets pass to your heirs and to other entities upon your passing in accordance with your wishes. It can also kick in while you're alive and and, but maybe incapacitated. So estate planning is extremely important. And we're going to look at the basic documents that comprise an estate plan in today's episode. Before we get started, today we're talking about estate planning, which is inherently a legal-centric topic. I am not an attorney, and and nothing I say today should be construed as legal advice. Estate planning attorneys are in most cities, so if this is you and, and you are in need of a better estate plan, I encourage you to uh, work with an advisor to identify maybe a plan that suits you and and then to find a good estate planning attorney to implement it, or you can just go directly to a good estate planning attorney. Estate planning is definitely a specialty. And I think that you want to try to identify an attorney that specializes in estate planning. I think for estate planning, you really want to find someone that specializes in that because it is a unique area with unique laws and challenges that you want to have a competent attorney be aware of those and that can draft those documents for you. Some people choose to have uh, their own documents made through one of the various uh, online estate planning tools that are out there. However, I do not recommend these personally. I think that estate planning and, and the intricacies of each state's laws really dictate having an attorney look at it for you. It is not without expense, but when it comes to managing all of your financial affairs upon your passing, I don't think that you really want to leave that to a a boilerplate template that you could find online. It's it's more about having a plan that is appropriate for you and unique to your family and your needs. It's not a check-the-box process. It's it's important to build out an estate plan that helps you accomplish your goals even after you're no longer here or during such time that you're incapacitated. So what is estate planning, first of all? So estate planning is basically the approach and, and plan for you and your family with regard to Uh, your assets uh, and legal powers upon either 
you becoming incapacitated or more commonly when you're deceased. So in the United States, when people pass away, there is a process for moving those assets from the deceased person to either their surviving spouse or their children or to a charity or to have whoever and however they designate that. If you create a plan for that in advance, that's basically an estate plan and it can take a number of different forms. But if you don't have an estate plan, you don't even have a will, which we'll talk about what that is, then your estate is probated, which is a legal process we'll talk about. And it would go in front of a judge for a judge to decide. Estate planning captures a number of different documents. When we say estate planning, we, we're, we're generally meaning a bunch of different things all at once. So some of the documents that we'll talk about today are a will, a trust, powers of attorney, and advanced directives. And there can be more, uh, especially for business owners. You may have buy-sell arrangements uh, involving potentially insurance to make sure that there's sufficient liquidity to cover the um, the transaction of changing the ownership of your company upon your passing, but for 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 most folks, it's it's a will and, and potentially a trust, uh, powers of attorney, advanced directive, and if you have children, uh, establishing guardians for your children if they're minors. Let's start with a will. So, a will is one of the most simple of those documents that we've covered here. A will basically tells the courts and, and anyone else that receives a copy of the will who you want to receive your assets after you pass away. The thing with the will is while it does accomplish the sort of the check the box of, I want my car to go to this person, I want my investments to go to this person, I want my dog to go to this person, a couple of things. It, it doesn't happen automatically. You have to go to probate to have it executed uh, via either someone called a personal representative or executor. And the other thing about a will is that's not as complex, which um, I guess in some cases could be an advantage, but in more often it's a disadvantage because you can't come up with a lot of if-then scenarios. A will cannot kick in unless you're actually deceased. So if you're incapacitated, a will doesn't really kick in at that point also, because you're going to probate, that's a very public process, which we'll talk about. A will is just the most basic identification of assets that you wish to transfer to another party upon your death. It only kicks in upon your passing, and that's all it accomplishes. There's no if-then scenarios. It's just this person gets this, this person gets that, and that's it. A will can be drafted by an estate planning attorney, and it's not terribly expensive, and that's all it does. It doesn't really do anything beyond that. So for a lot of clients that I work with and for anyone that considers themselves to be high net worth or ultra high net worth, a, a will alone is probably going to leave a little to be desired there. I'm not saying that it's wrong, but it's probably not the best estate planning option for you. For a lot of people that have more complex assets, um, you own a home, you own real estate, a trust starts to become very intriguing. A trust is a little different than a will. 
physically it's much longer. So a trust can be anywhere from 20 to 60 or more pages, depending on the complexity. Whereas a will is typically, I would say, less than five pages for the ones that I've typically seen. Sometimes it's one page. You can even see holographic wills, which means they're handwritten. Does not mean it's a hologram like you would see in a Star Wars movie, for instance. It literally just means that it's handwritten. But a trust is a, a more complex document. If a trust, a living trust, is um, executed properly and set up and funded properly, you can effectively avoid probate altogether. Let's take a quick detour and talk about what probate is. So probate is a court process. If you have assets that are not in trust, then probate is a process that involves your personal representative going in front of a judge and saying, uh, this person has passed away, Uh, they had a will, I present that will to the courts, and then the judge is responsible for overseeing along with the personal representative the disposition excuse me the disposition of those assets now probate is a public process so if you own assets that you don't really want to be public either from the perspective of what they are or what they're worth then that's not ideal also probate being a court process involves attorneys and it's expensive. It's generally more expensive than the cost of just having a trust made, which we'll talk about in a minute. But if a trust is fully funded correctly, you can generally avoid probate. And that is a, a, a less expensive endeavor than actual probate themselves. Also, um, probate often requires, well, it's state by state, but a lot of times requires notifying heirs that a probate has been filed even in the scenario where one of your heirs is not supposed to get anything so if you have an estate plan in your mind where let's say you have three children and you want two children of the three to inherit your assets but you don't want your third child to inherit any assets in some states if you don't have um, a way to avoid probate The probate process will require all three of the heirs to be notified, and then that person that's being disinherited may want to contest the will in probate. It could get um, kind of contentious. A trust is a way to avoid that process, and there's a couple of different kinds of trusts, and well, actually, there's a bunch of different kinds of trusts, but they can really be boiled down to two key types. There's revocable or living trusts, and then there's irrevocable trusts. A revocable or living trust is a trust that's created while you're alive, and it's revocable. You can either, you can make it go away, you could replace it with a different trust, you can amend it, you can make changes. It's a living, breathing document that is for you to change as the grantor and the grantor is the legal name for someone that creates a trust it's also similar to trustor is a synonym for grantor an irrevocable trust is as the name would apply it's irrevocable so that means once you establish it you generally cannot make changes to it you cannot undo it anything you put in it 
is no longer yours to withdraw. And why would you want to do that? Well, there are some key tax and estate planning benefits to doing that, but there's really, most trusts fall in one of those two. There's the living trust, the irrevocable trust. And when I say you want to create an estate plan with a trust, I'm talking about a revocable trust at a minimum. You may need some other types of trusts in your estate plan. For instance, there's special needs trust. If you have a special needs child or adult in your family that you want to take care of, um, there's many different types of trusts from trust to help with charitable intentions to trust to help with the transfer of real estate, trust to help take advantage of state tax exemptions, etc. But the revocable living trust is kind of like the key element. For instance, if you have a car, it may or may not have cruise control. It may or may not have um, a fancy GPS system. It may or may not have leather seats versus cloth, but it probably has an engine. And an engine is a key component of any car. Even an electric car has a motor. And, and that's really, you can't really have a car without a motor of some sort. And it's the key linchpin element. A car basically needs wheels and a motor. Otherwise, it's just not a car. A estate plan with a trust will almost always have the revocable living trust and the will. Those are kind of the two pieces of a solid estate plan that are akin to having wheels and motor in a car. The other elements, other irrevocable trusts, for instance, m might be nice to have, but they're not necessary. For a lot of people that are in the ultra high net worth category, uh, an estate planning may also involve uh, the creation of LLCs or other entities to do some asset protection, but that's kind of beyond the topic for today. A revocable living trust is, um, since it's a an, an entity effectively that is on its own while you're alive and it can be editable, you generally want to put a, a most of your assets that are eligible to be put into the trust, into the trust. Once they're in the trust, that does several things. First of all, if you were to pass away suddenly, those assets are in the trust. They belong to the trust. They don't belong to you. They belong to the trust and therefore um, they wouldn't be a part of probate. So if you don't have any assets, you generally don't have to go to probate. If all of your assets are in the trust, then when you pass away, the court would say, well, they don't have any assets because all of the assets are in the trust. And that's how you can, in a nutshell, avoid probate. It's, it's much more complicated than that. And like I said, you need to talk to an estate planning attorney, but that's how it works in a nutshell. A revocable living trust has a few key elements. It's It does hold assets. It um, has the grantor, which is the person that is in charge of setting up the trust, uh, they're the, you know, the person that owns the assets and wanted to put the assets into the trust. And then the trustee is the person responsible for managing the trust and following through on all of the things that it might say. And while you're alive, your living trust most likely has you as the trustee. So the grantor and the trustee is can be the same person. Now, the trust would have provisions that say, upon my incapacity for one reason or another, then I want so-and-so to be my trustee. And you can name another person or an entity like a bank or a trust company potentially 
to be a corporate trustee, but you would name some successor trustees in case you were no longer able to serve as trustee. That's the key difference between a trust and a will, is a trust exists while you're alive, and from time to time, it can kick in while you're incapacitated. And you can be incapacitated for lots of different reasons. You could be in a coma. You could be in a, a long surgery. Uh, you could have dementia or Alzheimer's and, and be alive but no longer able to settle your own affairs. A revocable trust is a way for all of your assets to be pooled together in this one entity where you define exactly what happens while you're alive and you get to define in it exactly what happens after you pass away. And you can create lots of more complex scenarios than you could in a will. So you could say, well, if my brother's alive, I want him to receive the assets after I die. But if my brother's not alive, then I want it to go to these people. And if they're not alive, I want it to go to this university. And if that university doesn't exist, then I want to go here. And you, you know, maybe you also set up a provision for your pet. The sky's the limit with all the different scenarios that you could put in there. But the beauty of a trust is that you can put them in there. You can be as complex or as simple as you want to be, but it gives you the freedom to create all these different permutations and combinations of things to happen both while you're alive and, and after you pass away. A key thing to remember is while you're alive, they're still your assets. So it doesn't really functionally change how you operate every day. You still go buy groceries with the same bank account, most likely. It may be retitled in the name of the trust, potentially, if that's what your attorney recommends, but it doesn't really, you don't have to like go apply to another entity and ask for money. It's still your money. You still direct it. You can move money in and out of the trust as you need to. When you have a revocable trust, you still need the will. And I think this is sometimes misunderstood. You still need a will, and the will is called a pour-over will, uh, generally, which is the type of will that's used when you have a revocable living trust. A pour-over will will basically say uh, to the court in probate, if you had some assets out there that you forgot to put into the trust for one reason or another, you just missed it, or you forgot, or you didn't get around to it, or maybe it was an asset that just wasn't eligible to be in the trust while you were alive for one reason or another, a pour-over will basically would would take those assets that were outside the trust and put them into the trust. So just like I said earlier, a will is really good at saying, this person gets this, this person gets that. A pour-over will basically says, any assets for this person that exist outside the trust, I want to go inside my trust. And then upon the execution of that will, the assets would all be inside the trust. A revocable living trust is a document that you'd want to have in addition to a will. And if you have a revocable living trust, the language of your will is going to be a little bit different. So they're probably going to be need to be created in tandem. So in addition to the trust, there are other documents that are typically a, a part of a good estate plan. So those would include powers of attorney and advanced directives. There's generally two kinds of powers of attorney uh, a financial power of attorney and durable power of attorney, or sometimes called a, a general power of attorney. A financial power of attorney basically is governed by the state law of wherever you live and says that you can nominate 
someone else to act on your behalf, give them the same legal authority as you would have to act on your behalf if certain events occur. Or you could have it be immediate. So sometimes a spouse may currently have power of attorney over another spouse. That can be handy if you know one spouse travels internationally, for instance, then the other spouse could use the power of attorney to sign documents when they both needed their signatures, for instance. But more often you see power of attorney used in those cases where you're incapacitated. So for instance, if you're in a coma, uh, you could uh, elect to have maybe your sibling as your financial power of attorney. And if you were incapacitated because you were in a coma, that financial power of attorney might kick in and allow your sibling to go to the bank and be able to pay your bills while you were in the hospital, for instance. The key thing is that when you're incapacitated, you still have financial matters and other matters that need your attention. It's been in the movies. There's been movies about people that have been in a coma for years and then they wake up suddenly. Think about while they were asleep, what happened to all of their things, their bills, their apartment or their home? payments on debts that they had, all of those things need to be taken care of. And a financial power attorney puts someone that you trust in a position to help you take care of those things, but only to the extent that you allow. You would work with your attorney to set up a power of attorney to be as broad or limited as you wanted and to only nominate the people that you choose to serve in those roles under the conditions that you outline. An advanced healthcare directive is for addressing healthcare concerns and decisions. Typically, this is also includes a type of power of attorney that's specifically related to healthcare. And again, this is where state law gets a little quirky. Each state's a little different, but in general, healthcare POA or power of attorney allows the person that you nominate as your power of attorney under the conditions that you stipulate to make healthcare decisions for you. This can include things like the ability to accept or decline certain types of medical treatment. So maybe you're in a coma and you need a surgery, but it's optional and the doctor says, well, you have healthcare power of attorney. We can either do this surgery or not do this surgery. What do you choose for your loved one? And, and that would be an example of a healthcare power of attorney being in effect. Additionally, it would probably include something called the living will, which a living will is a document that explains what you want your uh, person that you put in charge of this task to do uh, with regard to your end of life decisions. And the advanced directive is another name for a living will, but you, you basically uh, nominate a person in your family or friend, a loved one, to help execute your wishes in those final times. And you know they could include anything from, I wish to be kept alive on machinery for as long as possible, to I do not wish to be kept alive by machinery in any sort of capacity to something in between. And those are really hard decisions, obviously, to come up with, but it does help your family to have those things in place so that your family's not on the hook for trying to make those decisions and think through what would my loved one, what would they have wanted in this situation? With the living will, you're basically 
describing to them what you want in that situation. And all they have to do is provide it to the doctors so that they can make those choices. Much like a living will, the advanced directive, the power of attorney, the living will, those things are all generally can be changed while you're alive. So most estate planning for general estate planning can be changed while you're alive. Nothing's set in stone. So as you have family members pass away or maybe family members get married or maybe you have a falling out with a family member, you can make changes to your estate plan along the way. That's why I think it's really important to work with an estate planning attorney so they can help keep you motivated to make changes on a recurring basis. And I think a lot of estate plans generally are re-reviewed every five to 10 years. But if, for instance, there's a sweeping change in tax law or estate tax law, that might be a good reason to potentially have an attorney review your estate plan a little bit sooner. If you said, well, I made an estate plan 30 years ago. I did it once. I don't need it again. I humbly think that that's probably not the right approach. And an estate plan is something that should be reevaluated periodically, not, not every week, not every month, maybe not even every year, but definitely I think they have a shelf life. If for nothing else, if you made your estate plan while your children were very small, but now they're adults, then you probably would want to reevaluate some of the provisions you set up in there. Speaking of children, setting up a guardianship is another part of an estate plan for people that have minors. And what that does in your estate plan is basically say, well, let's talk about what it doesn't say. So your trust covers your financial and real property assets. Your will says all the assets that aren't into the trust go into the trust. Your power of attorney says, here's who can make decisions on my behalf. Your healthcare directives say, here's who can make my end of life decisions on my behalf. But what about your kids? And while your trust can dictate how the financial aspect of your children's lives are taken care of, it doesn't actually dictate who takes care of them. And so a guardianship is what sets that up. And you can nominate people to take care of your kids and, and, and define how that looks and different succession plans for that. You know, for instance, if you set up your maybe a sibling to take care of your children, but then suddenly your sibling passes away and you hadn't updated your estate plan yet and then you pass away, you'd want to have a successor in there so that there'd be a clearly defined hierarchy of people that you would want to take care of your your children um, in that situation. Obviously, the guardianship for parents is a really important part of the estate plan and one that I think is um, maybe one of the harder ones to come up with, especially if you have family in other cities, uh, the idea of thinking through how your children might operate living in the household of one family member versus another or in one city versus another, it can quickly get challenging. But it's important to lay that out because absent that, it's up to a judge. And for a lot of parents, you just may not want to have that great of a decision um, in the hands of the courtroom. Estate planning is a very interesting topic and a really important part of an overall financial plan. You need to work with an estate planning attorney to get this set up. Like I said, I wouldn't consider anything that I 
talked about today to be legal advice or anything specific to your situation, but it is something to consider. And if you think you need an estate plan, but you don't have one yet, I would really think through that and, and evaluate that. I appreciate you listening today, and I hope you found today's episode on estate planning to be helpful and intriguing and thought-provoking. We'll be back with another episode next week, and we'll see you then. This recording is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell securities or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, and any reference to is for entertainment purposes only.